Howdy guys, I'm Aiden of Blue Couch Productions, and welcome to Aiden on Anchor. Aiden on Anchor is a podcast focusing on my life. I'll tell you a lot about myself and hopefully provide value through experience. You're listening to episode 95 of the show, currently recorded on January 2nd, 2022, at exactly 4.30 a.m. Today is going to be a fun one because we're going to be going over my top 10 films of 2021. Now, you might remember a couple episodes back, I did a best of 2021 awards where I talked about movies and games and all this sort of stuff. And I figured, hey, let's take that film portion, you know, where I only talked about two films and let's do all of 2021, my top 10 favorites. Now, one little small disclaimer I've only seen 12 films from this year. Now, I watched a lot more, obviously. I think the final total was 89, but only 12 of those happened in 2021, so it's going to be a small list. A lot of people will say, well, then why even do it to begin with? And again, I kind of just want to make it a tradition, you know? I kind of want to have this episode out and then watch a lot of films in 2022 so that when you know, 2023 rolls around, I can be on a non-anchor and make an episode about the best 2022 films and kind of just start a tradition, you know, have some things that I can look forward to and plan out ahead of time because that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to reach my goals, you know, I'm trying to get a non-anchor episodes out more frequently and having, you know, topics and tent poles like this will be a much easier way to do it. So, Let's go ahead and start off with some dishonorable mentions. There are 12 films, obviously, so two of them did not make the cut, and the two are my least favorite films, one of which I have talked about literally last episode, Free Guy. Free Guy is bad. I do not like the Ryan Reynolds gamer movie. I do not like Ninja. I do not like Pokimane. I do not like Jacksepticeye cameos. I think the climax is really weird and self-referential. There's like Hulk and Captain America shield and lightsabers and nonsense throughout. It was a visual headache to watch. Diary of a Wimpy Kid comes in at number 11. It also wasn't good, but for a completely different reason. Diary of a Wimpy Kid is mainly just boring. If Free Guy is loud and obnoxious, then Diary of a Wimpy Kid is just subtle in how bad it is. We already have a Diary of a Wimpy Kid film adaptation that tells the story well, and it was made a long time ago in live action, and despite this being animated, it doesn't really do anything interesting with the source material, so unfortunately, it's not that great in my opinion. It's on Disney Plus if you want to watch it, but I don't recommend it. All right, those are dishonorable mentions. Let's hop in to number 10 with a total of two and a half out of five stars. My number 10 film is Black Widow. I don't like this movie a ton. I gave it a five out of 10 for a reason. It's just sort of the typical MCU movie, but not one that has like an interesting character or a good premise. Black Widow looks at the realistic side of the MCU, which is a lot less interesting in my opinion. You know, Captain America kind of gets a pass for me because I love the character of Steve Rogers, but Black Widow as a character has never been built up at all. And so this film presented a unique opportunity to finally tell Natasha's story but it's placed before Endgame, because remember, she dies in Endgame. 
So we have to look at this as a prequel, and it's a prequel set in a Civil War era, and I'm just kind of done with that time period. Had this movie come out, oh, I don't know, six years earlier, and it had been told chronologically with the rest of the MCU timeline, then yeah, it could have been potentially interesting. But here we are in phase four where expectations are much higher and Black Widow just feels like a typical Marvel movie that would have been made 10 years ago. Sure, there are some bright spots. Florence Pugh does a wonderful job. And I think sometimes the action can be a little bit interesting, but it's a box standard superhero movie with a little spaceship and a sky climax that we've just seen a thousand times before, and there's not enough emotional depth to keep me interested. It's in the top 10 purely by default, but I still would not recommend watching it even a little bit. Number nine is another superhero movie. We're talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Three stars out of five or a 6 out of 10. The original Justice League is one of those so bad it's good movies for me. It's so incompetently made, funny at all points, and a genuine clusterfuck of a movie that tries to recapture some of the magic of Avengers without having set up any of the characters prior. Steppenwolf is an absolute joke of the villain, there is no tension or plot, and the acting, especially from Ben Affleck and company, is genuinely bad at points. Zack Snyder's Justice League promises the original version of the film that was made before Joss Whedon came and moved everything around. Was this truly Zack Snyder's original intention? I doubt it. There's a lot of shit added in here, and it's even in a 4x3 aspect ratio because of First Cow, of all things? Yeah, I don't get it. It's clearly just an opportunity for Zack to do some crazy shit in a film, and that's exactly what he does here. You have a four-hour-long superhero movie that does tell the plot of Justice League, but adds in a lot more detail. Characters like Flash and Cyborg that were barely in the original are fleshed out and given some good scenes. Superman finally feels like he's a part of this universe. I love watching him have the black suit, and working together with the team is fascinating. Sure, there are parts that still suck. I think overall the foundation is still that original Justice League movie. There's only so much you can do to improve characters like Batman, Aquaman, and especially Wonder Woman. But enough improvements are made that I do think it is the superior version. It's still way too long, and I wouldn't recommend everybody watching it. But if you have to watch Justice League, this is the version to watch. Number eight goes to the only good animated movie I saw this year. It's Mitchells vs. the Machines. Three and a half stars or a seven out of ten. I like the idea of this movie more than I love the execution, but still, it scrapes by as being an enjoyable family flick. What's it about? So this daughter who makes YouTube videos is going off to college. Her dad, meanwhile, doesn't really see her art as anything more of an actual profession. So a rift between the two begins to form. She's trying to leave home as soon as possible, and the dad wants her to stay, but doesn't quite see eye to eye. The rest of the family sees these rifts and try to patch things up, but it's clearly an awkward situation. She's ready to go off to college, but 
right before she does, she gets on a road trip with the rest of the family during a robot uprising. Yeah, kind of a fun apocalyptic twist to the whole family road trip film. It's a cool scenario on paper. There's a lot in this film going on, talking about technology, social media, the bond between father and daughter. It's a very 2021 film that also happens to have weird meme references from 2004. Yeah, the Numa Numa song is in this at multiple points, and it even plays a plot detail later in the film, and it's hard not to cringe at the early internet humor. I get it's supposed to appeal to people who remember this stuff, but the nostalgia to me feels more like pandering. Thankfully, the animation is really good. I think the action is nice. It's a very energetic film with a lot of good editing choices, but sometimes the film can come off as a little preachy every now and then. I've seen stories like this be better portrayed in stuff like Ladybird, or even tackling the technology angle before. It's not like Mitchell's versus the machines is really doing anything outstanding, but it gets enough stuff right. And I think the heart's there. I think it is funny sometimes. There's two robot characters that have a little bit of an issue with their programming, and so they help out the heroes, and they're really funny. I can't say I remember a ton about this movie, but if you're looking for something to watch this year, I think it's a genuinely good time. Number seven is the finale to the MonsterVerse. It's Godzilla vs. Kong. They've been building up this movie for a while now. Back in 2014, Legendary Pictures came out with their Godzilla film that was more subtle than monster action typically had you believe. I liked it a good bit. It wasn't everybody's favorite Godzilla adaptation, but I was hungry for more. Then Kong Skull Island came out, and it was a lot more bombastic. It was a reinvention of the Kong character, who had him mainly sized up so he could later fight Godzilla down the road. There were hints in that movie, and we got even more in the next Godzilla film when he fights off against King Ghidorah and Rodan. He became the king of the monsters, but still, that confrontation with Kong was what we were looking forward to, and we finally got it. Obviously, the highlights in Godzilla vs. Kong are the battles between the two monsters. We get one early on on a boat where Godzilla has the advantage. He's a reptile after all, so he can swim in the water. Then later on, we get a fight in the city where Kong has an axe that can actually damage Godzilla, so now he has the advantage. Then the two, unfortunately, have to work together to stop a pretty uninteresting villain in Mechagodzilla that I think is poorly designed and comes out of nowhere, and the two make their amends. Although it is clear that yes, one of the two is better than the other. I don't want to spoil it, because that's the whole point in watching the movie, but I had a fun time. I felt it was rushed, and it ultimately drops a lot of elements that were set up in both the original Kong and Godzilla films. It really does have to get through to the interesting stuff, so a lot is cut along the way. And I don't think it's better than the original Godzilla film. I think it's a fine ending to the MonsterVerse, even though I personally wanted just a little bit more out of it. If you're looking for a fun movie where two monsters beat the shit out of each other, Godzilla vs. Kong is for you. Number six goes to my epicest movie of the year, Venom 2. Honestly, I saw this in theaters without having seen Venom 1, and boy, were my expectations met, and then some. This is not a particularly good movie. It's not the most well-made film you'll watch this year. 
Carnage is pretty bad. The drama isn't good. What I like about Venom 2 is the dynamic between Eddie and Venom. They're like an odd couple who constantly spat at each other, and it's really fucking funny in my opinion. Eddie has some great scenes by himself, and Venom has some great scenes by himself. I especially love when he goes to the club after breaking up with Eddie. It's a rom-com in the best sort of way. When it eventually has to get into the superhero stuff, yes, I start to lose interest. Despite wanting Carnage in a film for years, again, I don't think he adds much, despite a pretty good performance by Woody Harrelson. Shriek in particular is also fucking bad, and I hate the setup that they have for Venom 3. But with all that being said, I just kind of wanted a comedy, and for the most part, I got what I wanted. I think the Venom films are so unique in the fact that the comedy is the forefront, and you just don't see superhero movies being made like this anymore. It's a black sheep in a land of MCU films that feel the need to play it safe. And while those films are more consistently good, I think Venom 2 is the more interesting one. And I'll watch it more often than I will something like Black Widow and Zack Snyder's Justice League. Again, while there are better films on this list that we will talk about, none are quite as, quote, epic as Venom 2. How funny is it then that number five is a Marvel movie? Yep, it's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I gave it four stars, or an eight out of ten for short. This is sort of the Asian equivalent of Black Panther. I know many people have made that comparison before, but the difference is I think Shang-Chi is a better film on its own. I don't know, I just find Shang-Chi to be an interesting character. I love his friend and Aquafina. The battle between him and his dad makes for good family drama, and the world that they set up is interesting in my opinion. I obviously knew nothing about the character going in, but there's a lot of cool shit here. What makes Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings stand out to me is that the action is genuinely good. That fight in San Francisco on the bus is the highlight of the year for me in terms of superhero action, and most of the movie has fight scenes that get pretty close to that. It does start to fall off toward the end when it just turns into CGI battle nonsense, but even then, we have a fucking giant dragon that looks really fucking cool. I felt like a seven-year-old kid again watching one of these movies, and that's a good sign because I think it portrays a level of imagination and creativity that make films like this worth watching in the first place. If you haven't checked it out yet, I think Shang-Chi is worth your while. It's better than Black Widow for sure, and while I can't exactly compare it to Eternals because I haven't seen it yet, chances are I'll probably enjoy Shang-Chi a little bit more anyway. Having origin films is getting harder and harder to do in the MCU, but I think Shang-Chi pulls it off in a way that is both fun and creative. Number four is The Suicide Squad, directed by James Gunn. Another four out of five stars, or an eight out of ten. I think we can all say the original Suicide Squad was a mistake. It was edited like a trailer, and it was just loud and annoying in the worst sort of ways. I also thought our characters were a mixed bag. Despite some of them being interesting, there just isn't enough build-up to make any of them land particularly hard. 
The Suicide Squad, then, is a genuine improvement over that. We have a different cast of characters, aside from Harley Quinn, who is yet again back and is always good, and all of them are genuine improvements. Sure, you have your Killer Croc replacement in King Shark, but King Shark is better. You have your Deadshot replacement, and I think he's awesome as well. Then you have John Cena as Peacemaker and the Rat Girl, and they're all a quirky cast to say the least. We actually get extra members that are killed off, especially early in the film, and it just makes it a roller coaster to watch. This wasn't very predictable for me. You would just have all these scenes and set pieces and short little stories that all connected to each other. It felt like reading a book. You go from one chapter to the next one, and it just made the pacing particularly fun and enjoyable. I also love Starro. The Enchantress wasn't a great villain to begin with, so I know the bar was set particularly low, but for a giant fucking alien starfish, they actually set him up pretty well, and I had a little bit of an emotional moment watching him die when all he wanted to do was to be free and live his life. I think the Suicide Squad has a funny premise on paper, but it's the emotional moments that keep you coming back to it and enjoy it. The action is also great. The music actually fits this time, which is nice. And even characters that return from the previous movie are rewritten in such a way that actually makes sense in this film's context. I don't know if this will be the Suicide Squad going forward, if it replaces the original film, or if it's just a sequel. That's more an issue with the DCU as a whole, but as a movie on its own, yeah, this is the better Suicide Squad film. Similar to Zack Snyder's Justice League, it utterly replaces what came before, and that's genuinely nice. Here's hope the DCU can produce better superhero movies like this in the near future. And coming in at number three was a surprise that I watched, well, this night, literally, like a couple hours ago. It was insane. Tick, Tick, Boom is a musical starring Andrew Garfield, and it's legitimately based? Yeah, I don't like musicals. I don't sit through them. I think they're long. I think they're obnoxious. I think the songs often get in the way of a good plot. But Tick, Tick, Boom geniusly interweaves the plot and the musical together because the musical is a meta-commentary on this dude's life. I know it sounds confusing when I explain it, but when you watch the film, it makes a ton of sense. And it keeps things from getting visually stale. There's a good mix between the drama that's going on and the songs that commentate on it. It's also, I think, genuinely funny. You have one song that talks about how fast food customers are stupid for going into a diner on a literal Sunday. You have another one that complains about shitty apartment living and how awesome it'll be to live in a place that has actual standards attached to it and obviously the emotional stuff louder than words come to your senses yeah it hits I was worried this film was gonna be a little bit pretentious I mean it's Andrew Garfield and he's writing a play but he doesn't know if he can make it gee aren't this guy's problem sad too bad there isn't real injustice going on in the world but I think they keep it relatable. I think he recognizes enough of the bigger things that are going on, like the AIDS epidemic, and sees value in other people's issues, not just his own. He isn't an asshole all the time. He eventually learns his mistakes, and I think that makes him an interesting character because he does grow throughout the film. 
recognizing his problems, and eventually resolving to make good on what he promised to do. There's also a good message about keeping moving forward. Just because you spend eight years of your life on a project does not mean you'll be rewarded for all of it. But all you can do is put down that project and move on to the next one. That's the artistic process in a nutshell. Not everything is going to make you popular or famous, but if you keep working at it, if you're agile, if you can adapt to the circumstances around you, then you can eventually make great work. It resonates to me, not only as someone who makes YouTube videos, but also music and other forms of art. I wonder when I'm turning 30, will I have anything successful to show? And there's a song that directly touches on that. I think it's insanely relatable, super fun with the music and the set pieces. And while I don't plan to watch any Lin-Manuel Miranda films anytime soon, In the Heights does not look right up my alley, Tick Tick Boom was a pleasant and fun surprise. Obviously, if you're into musicals, go give this a watch, but if you're not, I think this one will legitimately surprise you. Number two is a film that will surprise no one. It's Spider-Man No Way Home, the final part of the Tom Holland MCU trilogy. Except for, it's not really. It's a transition. We're ending this trilogy, sure, but we're setting up three more films to come that I hope eventually come out. I like the idea that we're ending Peter's high school chapter. Peter loses his friends, he loses the Avengers, he loses all the things that ties him to the MCU, and now in the next three movies we get to see him live the life that we expect Spider-Man to have. And who knows, maybe this time it'll be even more poignant now that we know what his actual background is like. Does that make the previous two films worth it? Were they always building up toward this conclusion? I can't say for sure because I haven't rewatched those films in a long time, but what I can say is that No Way Home does a good enough job at getting me to question those thoughts in the first place. Clearly something was done right here. The villains are obviously the standout. You're coming to this movie to see Norman Osborn. You're coming to this movie to see Dr. Octopus. And even Electro is a good improvement over the original. Not saying much given how bad The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is, but I rest my case. It's cool seeing Peter interact with Doctor Strange. They have a cool fight that takes all the promise of that original Doctor Strange movie and uses the CG for something that I actually care about for once. And yeah, the worst kept secret in the world, the other Spider-Man show up. But they're not just here for fan service. They serve a purpose in the plot, guiding Peter on how to be Spider-Man in the first place, realizing that all this tragedy and bad things can shape you into being a better hero. And I love how Peter learns the lesson of with great power comes great re responsibility, not through Uncle Ben, but through Aunt May. Kind of a cool subversion on that. It's clearly being a Spider-Man film, but with its own unique twist. It's not so concerned with retelling the story, but doing it in a new and unique way. And for that, I think it's pretty cool. Are there parts that I don't like? Sure. I question the intention of this film a lot and how much it was planned to begin with. But still, a good Spider-Man movie is a good Spider-Man movie, and I can't complain too much past that. You know No Way Home is good. You don't need me to tell it to you, but it ended up being my second favorite film of 2021. All right, here we are. Number one, what could it be? 
Well, if you watched my best of 2021 film, you already know what it is, but I guess I get to talk about it again, which is fine by me. It's Judas and the Black Messiah. This film was nominated for Best Picture, and while it didn't win, I think it should have. It was the best film of the bunch for me, with the only one coming particularly close being The Father, which was also excellent. Judas and the Black Messiah talks about a lot of things. Betrayal, racial injustice, the Black Panther movement, and what it stood for. It's an emotional, gut-wrenching film that shows me a time period that I was not alive for, or one that I thought was totally relatable, but still hit me like a ton of bricks. The filmmaking is astounding from beginning to end. Obviously, the acting by Daniel Kaluuya is fantastic, and Lakeith Stanfield does a pretty damn good job himself. It's cool to have a movie where both main characters are equally strong. It was a tough debate deciding which one I liked more, and I think that's because both performances stand out as being genuinely good and some of the best of this generation, period. While there were other films like Trial of the Chicago 7 that kind of showed these events from a different perspective, it's Judas and the Black Messiah that feels more poignant, feels more emotional, and feels more smart with its storytelling, its filmmaking, its characters, and especially its drama. I loved it from beginning to end, and while I haven't seen it in a while, rest assured I will be watching it very soon. And those are my top 10 favorite films of 2021. I know, I didn't get to see everything. Chances are, if I watched more than 12 2021 films, I'd probably have a lot more in this top 10. Best believe that Black Widow and Zack Snyder's Justice League would have gotten kicked out, but I think some of these still would have stayed around. I've yet to find a film that I like more than Judas and the Black Messiah in a long time now, but I'd be interested in being proven wrong at the very least. Let me know, what films did you watch in 2021 and what is your top 10 list? I'd be interested in seeing them. Check out my social medias down below and let me know your list on Twitter or Discord or anywhere else. Are there any other top 10 lists I should make for Aiden on Anchor? This one was a lot of fun and I would love to do more. But with all that being said, I'm Aiden of Blue Catch Productions and I'm signing off. Thank you.